Welcome to the Film Common Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crute. We're the editors of Film Common. This week, we're reporting from Berlin, where the 2023 edition of the Berlinale is currently underway. Throughout the festival, we'll be sharing daily podcasts, dispatches, and interviews covering all the highlights of this year's selection. So follow along on the Film Comment podcast and the Film Comment letter. Choose. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast, the rapid fire edition. <laughs> we are circled around a, I don't know, some sort of handcrafted, but not actually wood table <laughs> and uh, somewhere deep in the depths of Berlin. Um, we have two excellent guests today. Jonathan, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jonathan Ali. I am a programmer and director of programming for Theater Horizon Film Festival in Miami. And I believe it is your first time on the yes, pod. Yes, it is my first time on the pod. Oh, and we have a surprise guest. Let's have, but first, let's have our let's have our other guest introduce herself. Hi, I'm Ella Bittencourt, and I'm a writer and critic. And surprise, surprise! Look who's rolled out out. out <laughs> Of a car, from the rainy streets to the warmth of uh, the podcasting den, we have Devika Girish, my colleague. The first film we're going to talk about is um, Claire Simone's Our Bodies. I think it's a film we all liked, I would say. I mean, I know that I found it to be one, probably one of my favorites so far that I've seen. Yeah, I think it's also one of my favorite films I've seen so far, and it's a f- film I'm particularly excited about because I feel like Claire Simon is just on fire. I feel like I've seen, uh, probably first time I was introduced to her was at I want to say True False Film Festival and that would have been probably around 2015 when she was showing Mimi. She was there. I remember that's one documentary when she's actually on camera. Yeah. But ever since I haven't seen that much of her on camera and I didn't expect necessarily and we'll explain in a second to see her in this one either. But it's it's a surprisingly far-reaching and in-depth film that's very complex that has quite a few protagonists in it or people since it's a documentary but that also ends up being very personal for Claire I think and and in a thoughtful and beautiful way so that was a personal treat and a surprise for me Um, and I guess we should say what it's about right Um, so I think she starts off by saying if I recall she starts off by saying that she just really wanted to talk about um, a series of issues gynecological issues that influence and impact women's psyches and lives throughout their lifetime. And that sounds awfully broad, but she actually really achieves that, I think, with just, I don't know, remarkable acuteness. And she kind of starts off by taking a walk and it's her on camera and just saying that she's she's walking through in a some cemetery, way, right? she's, yeah, she's, she's walking, walking through, a cemetery. through the yeah. cemetery or by the cemetery and she's just saying on the way to the house that the hospital there's this a cemetery so it's kind of a haunting is it the cemetery where her father is buried? It, it might be well, she doesn't she... S- i don't know that she says that she's buried but she does mention that her father spent a lot of time in oh, a hospital yes, right and so uh, that have... somehow that's a world that um she's familiar that is with very mu- that she's very familiar yes. with and then i yeah. don't know i don't want to do any spoilers but i guess along the way we find out that she gets more and more familiar with it so i think 
uh, I, I spoke to a number of critics and we didn't necessarily catch on, but it is a beautiful arc in the film that um, it sort of starts off and you think, oh, this is going to be primarily about reproductive rights because there are young girls talking about um, having the option to abort um, to stop the pregnancy and the pregnancy and the various reasons for which they might want to do it. And right, right away, I just thought, I mean, interestingly, we opened the, or, or Devika and other guests and um, Claire Simon, I mean, Claire, I'm sorry, Claire Denny and other guests. Now <laughs> All I'm, the I'm confusing my Claire. The grand Claire James. Also, hi, I'm here. Just uh, to listeners, I just came over from well, Berlin Critics Week. Hey, look, cab in the Berlin rain. So anyway, yeah. Ella, keep so, going. Um, so it, I thought it was kind of beautiful that that Vaughn has started off with this idea of aesthetics of care, and then Claire Denny was like, "I'm not sure if aesthetics is the right word." But when I was watching, um, like right off in the clinic, I thought, "Well, maybe if we don't want to say that care has a certain aesthetics, it certainly has a certain choreography." Like what's very touching for me in this documentary is the movement of the body um, that's very present and I think Claire and her is it is, does she have an extra camera person because she sometimes it's just she her yes. okay think, she has yes, an extra exactly right because she's sometimes on camera of course um, so like her camera person is always catching the workers leaning in there's just a lot of there's a lot of, hands, a lot of right? gesture yeah. right very there's intimate. a lot of it's very intimate uh, there's uh, and there's this it's interesting because it's covid so of course there are masks but it almost feels like it's beyond just a gesture. It's almost like a device that the doctors constantly ask, could you take off your mask? I'd like to yeah. be able to look One at you. One doctor in particular, I believe. I mean, the, yeah, the doctor this who's, idea uh, of needing to be seen. And that's particularly touching in a film that consistently again and again is about women's pain and how that pain is often invisible and how the different illnesses, kind of how long it takes to be diagnosed, the kind of silences that build up around women's pain. Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about the different conditions. But anyway, I said that it seems like it's just gonna be about reproductive rights. But then I think like halfway through, you realize that we're actually going through women's entire reproductive cycle. And so we slowly get into menopause and other questions. The first, uh, you know, couple of um, people that we encounter, you know, at the hospital who are um, engaging with the services there are some young people who are transitioning, actually. Yeah, (laughs) I should say the focus is women's pain, but actually the gender spectrum is far broader in the film. Yes, far, far broader. And I thought it was very interesting that uh, Claire Simo decided to... uh, put these characters first. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's sure. a political statement. And this film is very political sure, to me as sure. well. You know, as much as it's about so many other things in a very personal way, it's also very political. Um, I should just say, uh, for full disclosure, um, you mentioned True False as the place where you first saw uh, Claire Simone's work. I'm programming for True False this year and we've selected the film for the festival. Right. And I saw it in that context. So I have not seen it here at Berlin. Yeah. Um, and I've not seen it projected on the big screen as yeah. yet. So this yeah. is the context in which I'm talking about the film. The audience yeah. is going to love it. No, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that that, that is, I said women, it's it's cis and trans women and also other, right. And men, trans, men dealing and, with and men, yes. fertility yes. issues. So exactly. I was with yes. the, yes. Yes. With the right. writer earlier today who was writing a review of the film and she was like, I don't know what the correct term is. Should I say people with uteruses? But that actually doesn't cover everyone in the film. Should I say women? That doesn't seem appropriate. And that to me, is reflective of, you know, the film's uh, 
just broadness and the the scope it presents of experiences that have to do with the body and with reproductive but not just reproductive i mean i think it's sort of a portrait of gendered experiences of the body and how that interacts with the medical establishments you know view of of those sure. experiences sure. and um I I so I found it very moving. Um it's three almost three hours. Almost three long. hours long. Yeah, yeah, and I you know during COVID or it, it sort of throughout COVID there have been a lot of hospital films and I've seen a lot of those hospital documentaries. And a lot of them can be very revealing, but they can also be exhausting to watch. And it was so beautiful to watch this film which was not only riveting even though it's one case after case but it's so affirming i mean it's such a an affirming film in that all the interactions between the doctors and the patients are quite beautiful the doctors are wonderfully supportive and at one point that gave me pause cuz i was like what is this completely rose tinted picture you know i I mean I'm sure every person but especially anyone who is identifies as a woman or has like sort of femme experiences of the body mm. has had like traumatic experiences with doctors right I mean yeah. everyone yeah. I mean I can think of so many just dismissive like casually dismissive. and there is a nod to that in the film because we see that scene yeah, where there's yeah, the protest yeah. exactly yes. and that's so, so I was like this. why is this so positive to. but then I started to feel like I'm glad to be seeing this because yeah. this is a model for what how healthcare can be affirming and the scene that you're mentioning Jonathan actually does pull you out for a second and tell you literally pulls you out of the hospital for one right. moment and then brings you back where there's sure. a protest against abusive doctors yes. and doctors who cross lines of consent and that rupture is actually very important in reminding you that this is one institution where the doctors at least in the scenes that you see we don't see the I full spectrum I mean they're spectrum. on camera we don't you know they What? know that they know there's a camera in the room so uh, you know i'm not saying that yeah, these doctors yeah. are I mean but, i have i have heard that criticism that you oh, know maybe I'm not criticizing how, it no, i just no, think that there's, yours, a, there's a, of oh, someone who yeah. lives in france and says i don't know how representative this is actually oh, okay. of our public health system yeah um, i don't think it's meant to be representative no. though right no, no. it's a very selected series of experiences but it's interesting that you say that rose tinted because i actually didn't have entirely that experience. I mean, I I felt that a lot of people who are there are enormously supportive. I felt that there are very um subtle differences in how let's just say medical advice and medical diagnosis is sometimes delivered by female doctors versus male doctors, which are very subtle but are nevertheless there. And I do think that women who come in and just say, you know, there's one woman who says I'd rather have pain than have no desire. Yeah. And she's talking about agonizing pain for years. And she's talking about that kind of pain in a marriage. And she's talking about endometriosis, yeah. which is yeah. so commonly yeah. misdiagnosed. It's a known fact that and I'm sure Simone was thinking about that that women are just much more often misdiagnosed than men and that it just takes an awfully long time and that actually there's a lot of catch up to be done in terms of yeah. just how much women are suffering and how much they're suffering silently there's possibly a reason why the film seeks to present these experiences as positively as it does and i can't say for certain but i think the film is also making a case for socialized medicine because from what i could tell in the film there's a broad spectrum mm -hmm. of classes and ethnicities being treated in this hospital mm -hmm. uh and it's never openly mentioned but we are in France we are in western Europe 
Uh, and so I believe that this is one of the things that uh, the filmmaker is gesturing towards with, without openly saying it. And it was striking for me uh, as someone who lives in the UK, in London, where right now uh, the NHS is in crisis, the National Health Service, which is a socialized uh, a National Health care. Service? What's, yeah, what's that? Can you explain? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense well, because how do you make money from the patients? I don't You get don't it. You, because you <laughs> recognize... No, you're just leaving the money on the table? Are you, are you having you, cognitive dissonance? You recognize <laughs> that every human being has a fundamental right to health care. But every that human being costly, is fundamentally trying to take as much money from every other human. It just doesn't make sense. These, these <laughs> things don't work. I, um, I think that there's also, yeah, it's, that's, shock, that's striking, especially for me in the scenes of, about in vitro fertilization, which in the United States is like, uh, you know, mm. extremely expensive. Mm, yeah. And like, so, and you do see a broad range of people from, a, from different backgrounds seeking that, seeking that um, procedure yeah. out in this, in this film. But I also think that's, Speaking about the doctors and the relationships between the doctors and the patients here, you see them in the, in the in these rooms that are like ugly. Everybody knows these rooms; they're just like cold, functional, functional, not, and not even that functional. Like like fluorescent lights, just ugly. And uh, what Simone is so good at is watching people, yeah, mm-hmm. and kind of capturing the humanity of these of each person who's in front of the camera, and. In, especially with in this setting, which is just blank backgrounds, computers, yeah. bad, you know, bad carpeting, like these people kind of their humanity really just comes jumping out at you in a yeah. really intense way. Mm-hmm. Sure. I will say one thing, which is that um, a friend I was talking to, Caitlin Quinlan, she said that she saw a public screening and stayed for the Q and A. And that Claire Simone revealed that one of the doctors in the film, she didn't say who, actually has an ongoing accusation against him for abuse. But she, um, I mean, I this is a secondhand, so I don't know the full context, but Simone explained like a sort of grappling with that choice and choosing to leave him in. So I just want to mention that because I think that Ella, just back to your point that there is something very selective about this portrayal. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I think there is something selective in the sense that she's making a case you know she's making think a fred case wiseman isn't selective in his right. portrayals of various institutions right. i mean you yeah know. Um, i have to say no i agree that it's i'm sure it is i'm sure in many ways it is selective it's not representative though you know sure but yeah. i mean at the same time i think maybe for especially people who have had are suspicious of let's just say in the medical profession or how you know women or patients in general treat it i think there are some scenes i mean there's that really striking scene where you know you just assume that a mother is having a postpartum depression i mean she's like breastfeeding her child and just crying inconsolably Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then it turns out that that's a result of as quote-unquote simple a thing as a doctor having bothered to tell her that her excruciating pain that she experienced was a result of such and such and was valid and that did not happen. And it just seems like more than the pain itself, that lack of narrative and that silence around it is so... that she had wanted to do a natural vaginal birth, but then it ended up being forced. It's so like doubly punishing for this particular woman. So I think that there are signs of, you know, it's not all rosy and there's a utopian aspect to this film and that i think that that's that has political value too and i think you see that especially in the scenes towards the end of end with end of life care where you see like this is how people and you know i don't 
you again, a camera's in the room, but like maybe a camera should be in the room when people are taking care of old people because like this is the way that it should be done with like a directness yeah, sure. and like yeah. a, a you know a love that is that is pretty uh, uh, that's powerful. Yeah. But I think also, I mean, you're right. I think that there's something about the affirmation of of the body and and not just the female body, but often the female body uh, and as 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 life giving and just as yes. caring and nurturing and just having this tremendous sacrifice and service yeah, and, and that's what's being affirmed yes and, and yeah. this endless resilience and so there's a particular build up with like the scene of the birth which is probably the most intimate right when mm -hmm. the mother is yeah. holding oh, that, the that baby. Scene is uh, like i mean there's incredible. there's some kind of like a rising tension up to yeah. that moment and yeah i'd mm -hmm. never seen a c-section on camera before that was, that was the first time for me it was and they're quite graphic they're, they're quite yeah speaking it was of unbelievably rosy. Yeah. i mean this is the one moment when it's just not rosy enough <laughs> has anyone here seen house of the dragon <laughs> no okay this is a spin-off of game of thrones and they do like these whatever ancient or medieval C-sections on that show. And I was like, wow, it, it looks, looks no different. <laughs> I mean, they're cutting open a human being and pulling out the baby from the But they're the like wrestling the baby out. They're like yeah. reaching yes. in. And yeah. Yeah. I, I always I, imagined that the f they would just like pull the flap back. Oh, wow. <laughs> right, the there's nothing delicate. Yeah, there's I mean, just nothing. <laughs> right, no, no. right, right. It's quite, it's quite a terrifying It's horrible. Prospect. And it's, I mean, that's also the thing that but this kind of, of tenderness surrounding something that actually feels quite uh, brutal invasions of the body, but they're obviously done. I mean, many people you know, choose to to have C sections too. So of course, not, yeah. You yes, know, I mean, it, it's just surprising having not seen it. How how like rough it looked. But the yeah. film, but but that scene balances. You know what we were talking about earlier about the woman who did not want to have a C section was forced to. Yeah, yeah. That th this can also be a positive choice. Right, you know, right. Yeah. That there should be no discrimination between. I mean, and that's wanting or that's what you know that's what's so great about this movie and Claire Simone's movies is that there is no judgment, no judgment. of the action of the activities that are happening in addition to the people that in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I think I'm, I'm, I'll just mention one more thing because this is with. Um, with I think the the young trans person who's transitioning to a man, if I recall, and 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 the whole fertility process that needs to be explained because that's so beautiful that she captures as well on camera mm -hmm. that it's not just the care that's physical, but there's a certain care that has to happen like through the cognitive process because to see these young people who already at 15 or 16 or 17 are having to understand their choices and how confusing it might be yeah. if you're not clear of, you know, if you're transitioning but you want to have a baby, what it will take. And yeah. there's just not enough storytelling well, out there around yeah. this. I mean, this Again, is what's so striking. Another thing that I'd never seen on camera before yeah. and it's, uh, you know, and it, 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 it um, uh, you hear so many stories now, right? Uh, in these debates about uh, young people being, being, you know, uh, coerced or, coerced or, or, brainwashed. or brainwashed. This whole pan cultural and so this, panic. You know, yeah. something like, you know, that, you know, these, you know, the, these scenes in the film help to kind of, you know, demystify or, you know, show, well, this is how it can be done. Yeah. This is how. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, a, it's a great exactly. movie to pair with. Yeah. We talked yeah. about another film, the Orlando, um, my political biography. The Paul B. Preciado film yesterday on the podcast, um, and I think it's like you know Dove's Tales. Very, you have this. This is the medical establishment, even at its kindest, still has to force you into these decisions, into force you into choosing different paths 
everything has to be documented in certain ways. Everything yeah. has to be like that too. Control- yeah. And there are, there's no there's no room for nuance in these discussions either. But it's in- it's just interesting to to think about these two movies in, yeah. together. In that way. I'm wondering if we can move on to a film. Let me see. I'm talking about our body, a film about equine bodies. Horse opera. Horse, horse butts. A film about horse butts. It's not about horse butts. It I've has not a lot seen of it. So oh, oh, Jonathan's seen it. No. <laughs> um, maybe we could talk about it briefly, Ella. You and I have seen it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I, and I, the reason I want to talk about it is because I'm actually not very familiar with Moira Davies' work. I know you are. And I saw the film today and I was felt quite mixed about it. And I know that you you like her work, so I kind of want to hear your case for it. But, you know, I don't know how I would even describe this film, except that it sort of matches a series of images, which for the first uh, part of the film focus on horses uh, and especially of horses' posteriors. And there's, I mean, they're really close shots of yeah. horses peeing and pooping yeah. and yeah, yawning yeah. and, you know, and then kind of moves on to other scenes, which include Davy in her home. I mean, there are these kind of domestic shots. And all of it is overlaid with a voiceover that I think she has recorded on her voice, uh, on her iPhone. And that's sort of telling this grand story of a woman named Elle and various kind of vignettes in her life. And I will just say one thing. So at the screening I was at, they played the first about seven to eight minutes of the movie with no sound. So I'm here watching like these pictures of horses and it's very kind of, it's like a round frame and you know, kind of zooming into certain parts of the horses. And I was, I found it very calming. I mean, I have seen imageless, soundless films in the Berlinale Forum before. So I thought, wow, this is a film with no sound and there's something, it was just washing over me. And then they stopped the screening and restarted it. And the voiceover is such a big part of the film and so different from the images that I almost had to like rewire my understanding of the film and I couldn't let go of that initial experience. I feel like the rewiring is what this film is really about. I mean, I don't know. I'm risking it because I didn't actually get to, um, you know, we did an interview in one of those uh, Zoom calls where they time you. And then it's like one when you have one second, you kind of wave and say, wait, wait, I've got more questions. So I never asked her about this, but I almost felt like. I don't know why watching this film, I was thinking of Beckett's like Crab's Last Tape, you know, where you have a protagonist that's uh, a character that's like playing old cassettes or whatever, old recordings and listening to him to himself in another time. I think that a lot of her films, or at least this one, is all about this kind of time layering that she's telling stories. I mean, this L borrows a lot from Davy's own life in the sense that she's talking about her New York City scenes. She's talking about going to parties. She's talking about going out dancing. She's talking about having these, you know, this character, this young woman who's having all these um, casual encounters, but also encounters with friends and sometimes issues around like embarrassment, maybe shame, but it's all like um, sometimes quite sexy. Right. So you have you have this one time frame and then there's another time frame where Davy's listening to this recording and then like repeating it and she repeats it in this very controlled voice, which maybe that's why I thought of Beckett. And there's something about, I don't know, like this gap 
of kind of like not being able to recapture and nostalgia and displacement. And I think we can relate to that because it is in a way a COVID diary. I mean, being kind of delicate around that. Uh, the images are from, I don't recall exactly where the country house is, but it's basically a place that she was staying in. She's staying there through the pandemic. We're staying there more and more. Um, one of those horses is the our horse she rides. Other horses just belong to the people who, I guess, own the stable. And she's just watching these horses daily. She's, I think, recording them for like two years. So that's the at a different time frame. I think it's all about like being physically in one place, but being mentally elsewhere, and this juxtaposition of this kind of, I don't know, like this charged neurotic place of which she is in New York with this completely different other time zone with the horses. And there's something about the horses. I know there's like a lot of shitting and like, you know, pooping and whatever, really? manuring or whatever. Manuring. But I think it's... It's wonderful in the same that there's in the sense that there's something shameless in it that there's something I mean quote unquote natural whereas some of the she's not judging the manuring yeah, there's no judgment uh, there's uh, there's nothing to be like judged the free the yeah. horse whereas, I think, asshole <laughs> whereas I think around the human body, there's lots of close-ups of horses there's assholes. a lot to be judged I mean yeah. at least in her narratives you know and um, yeah. I keep so, talking about that I feel like we should get a, yeah. some sponsorship okay. from anyway, the crunch yeah, yeah I I yes. just will I, the one the one no thing joke. I would just wanted to say is like and I kind of want to pose this question to you and it kind of applies not just to this film and I feel like Jonathan maybe you'll have something to say here too which is this is a kind of film where the images are not are composed in an order in an order that is not self-evident they are not directly connected to the voiceover which is delivered in this very stilted style that Ella was kind of gesturing at very monotone very obviously artificial and I sometimes struggle with experimental films like these where the images, yeah, they don't evince a self-evident order or they don't make... I, I can't tell why these images are put together in this way and with this recording. And that sometimes makes me skeptical of experimental films where it's like kind of getting away with whatever vibes, you know? Uh, and I was talking to the person I saw the film with who was saying... Yeah, not to be self-aggrandizing, but it feels like something I could just make too. And that when you see a film, you don't want to see didn't. something you could. But they didn't. No, sure. but I understand. I think that's valid. I think that I I think that Davy herself would would agree that she took a certain risk and that it might work or not. I mean, mm. I, I I don't want to say that filmmaking is somehow adjacent for her, but you know, she's done photographic series. Some of those photographic series are portraits. Some of them are much more direct. Some of them are, have been much more personal. She's done a ton of writing. A lot of that writing is semi-autobiographical and, and fairly daring. I mean, she's also known for like having this, you know, practice where it's very polyphonous and she's always bringing other voices into it. And she's always talking about Bach's and she's always thinking about the image itself. So I think that she would agree that, Maybe she took a certain risk and like in this particular mm. film, it doesn't always. 
I was wondering how it would play as an installation, frankly. But I think for her, it's interesting because I think she's kind of in pursuit of thinking of, if I am going to continue telling autobiographical stories, how could I kind of, how could I splinter the narrative? How could mm. I kind of break it up? How, 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 I, how could I use the eye in ways that aren't so obvious? And I think that's interesting because there's more and more tendency. And I think maybe you were talking about that or maybe Abby was talking about that in the opening of mm. Forehead the Critique. That, that in documentary, at least, there's this tendency of put more and more vo voiceover and the filmmakers to be present and this first-person narrative are, stream are streaming in. So I think the question of, like, how do we make it new and interesting is valid. Yeah. You know, I think she took that risk. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to say, and it is often said in programming circles, uh, when you come across a, a work that you, you know, think of in you know the way the, Devika you just uh, talked about this film which again I haven't seen it's so easy to say maybe we can have it as an installation you know <laughs> and then you sort of get away with you know uh, uh, you know not having the wrath of an audience who comes to sit in a cinema to, yeah. to see it but uh, I, mean, I mean you know neither curatorial choice is inherently you know better or worse than another but you know if 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 a filmmaker makes a, a piece of work um, and decides that it's a work with a you know a certain way that they want to have it uh, 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 exhibited um, you know uh, then then you have to think about well why is it that they that they want to do that and yeah. uh, you know the idea of um, the spectator sitting in a uh, you know in a cinema watching a single screen you know um, in you know that kind of classic cinema setting it still is for so many people the idea that this has to be a passive experience where the film will unravel itself to me and I just have to sit back and, you know, all will be done and I don't have to do yeah. any work. But, you know, if an artist is saying, look, I want to have an active spectator who has to engage with the work and maybe me be made uncomfortable or even alienated and therefore have to deal with those feelings. Why am I feeling alienated? Yeah. Why am I feeling yeah, that way? Yeah, but sometimes it's also just a bad film. I'm not saying yeah, that's the case yeah, here, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes it's like, it's not alienation. I think this is just not working. But it's a, well, it's that, a, it's and, a great and that's, point. that's a valid think, argument too. I think it comes up with a moving image all the time because I, I, I could imagine Moira Davy with this film, yeah. particularly, I can totally imagine it working as an installation, somebody walking in, seeing 10 minutes and saying, I get this. I get this disjunction mm. of image. Yeah. This or is I interesting. Or I don't and whatever, yeah. but like yeah. I see where it's but coming. But you can walk out of a cinema as well. There's nothing to stop I see where it's coming from and like her artistic, whatever. Whereas I think Davika has also a very valid point. We're watching it in a cinema. There is a certain expectation of a narrative unraveling. And or not even narrative, but use of time. You know, it is un ultimately... Images are progressing. And use of your time. You <laughs> seem to be saying. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to put it, you know, <laughs> that sort of, you know, utilitarian way. But the yeah. images are progressing in a certain order when you're watching them in a cinema, right? And that doesn't, that doesn't mean they have to be chronological, but... But there I should be a cumulative feel, effect. Exactly. I want to feel that like that time is made use of in some intentional way. I, I mean, again, I don't want to speak too strongly because I do think this film is quite lovely in many ways, but it kind of befuddled me and made me think of these larger questions. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. 
The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I was going to make a segue between uh, the images of uh, the horse or the horses in, in horse opera and the images of cattle which was one of four films that was in a program that Ella and I saw last night as part of Critics Week uh, uh, as part of this ongoing initiative called um, Artistic Differences, which uh, is presented by Union Docs uh, and programmed by a number of different programmers. And it works as a sort of... In this case, programmed by Victor Gumairish and yeah, Victor Gumairish. Uh, Cynthia Gill. Cynthia Gill is one. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Cynthia is one of the, uh, one of the, the, the masterminds behind, behind the, 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 uh, the whole the whole project hmm. and it works as a sort of as they said last night traveling film club that goes from festival to festival so every month the idea is they go to a different festival and as an adjunct to the official festival program uh, they present um, a screening program and uh, ahead of the screening program there's an online uh, uh, sort of like discussion group um, that anticipates the screening and then following the screening which Ella didn't stay for this, but I, I was there for this after. There's uh, further discussion where you, where you break out into groups and you, and you discuss the film. And, uh, and we also had... Uh, As if there wasn't enough going on. <laughs> <laughs> We've decided to travel to these, yeah, to these places sure. and do more. Yeah. <laughs> With discussions. No, but that's why I'm... No, but that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's the nature of the event. You can yeah. take part in not some, but not, but not all. Yeah. yeah, not all of it. So, La Formula Secreta, shall we talk about that and uh, get into it and well the, the whole program in in total really which um uh the and it's a 1965 film that's a 1965 right? film so it's it's four films in the program they're all latin american films three are rap films classic films from the 60s uh, a couple of mexican films and the fourth film is a contemporary film a 2020 brazilian film and they're all linked uh formally in terms of uh their concern with labor, uh, with you know bodies, with minoritized bodies, uh, exploited bodies, but also they form part of what can be seen as uh, a tradition of sur slash realism, sur realism in Latin American cinema. Okay. So, uh, so yes, exactly. Yeah. So you know, as as distinct it. from European surrealism, and the sort of bridge between those two, which. Mm. None of his films were uh, in the program, but he was mentioned in the discussion afterwards. Buñuel, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, you know who who worked in in in, in Mexico and uh, uh, La Formula Secreta actually does sort of gesture to Buñuel uh, and in particular Anshia um, Andalou at at certain points. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, La Formula Secreta does have these scenes of cattle, uh, you know, being being herded and being tied and 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 butchered, and that also. Uh, kind of gestured backwards to Eisenstein, Soviet montage, okay, and, you yeah. know, the sort of, you know, things you'd see in films like uh, Strike and so on, you know, yeah. um, with the associative editing showing the exploitation of the workers, you know, through, through, through that, kind of, um, that kind of montage. Yeah, I'm still thinking about that film because it's just so strong. I mean, in terms of the surrealist imagery, it's really uh, so often, it's just absolutely hallucinatory. And it is making, of course, it's a 1965 film by a Mexican filmmaker, so it's making all the points about... Um, 
you know, about the American imperialism. I mean, it's called, um, I think, La uh, Formula Secreta or uh, the or, Secret Formula or oh, Coca-Cola co and the Coca Blood. Yes, Coca-Cola <laughs> and the Blood. It, yeah, right. so, so the Secret the Formula blood. refers to the Secret and Formula of Coca-Cola. Which is like this, yeah. I assume, this, the poison of American imperialism or something. And the list of credits right. at the end is right. essentially a list of multinational corporations. <laughs> and, right, right. Uh, and, okay. and some of those corporations, yeah. to be fair, later participated in various ways, like lending services or lending space or whatever or sometimes vans and blah, blah, mm. blah towards, you know, certain military police operations throughout Latin America yes. that were connected to torture. And so the way Correct. it unraveled, you know, it's extremely coded. Mm. And there's actually, at the end of the film, there's a long list of those American companies, yes. not just American, not just Ameri well, German, I, I said, I said multinational, European so, yeah. multinationals. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's calling out and it's clearly about the conditions of the workforce and living and and the anti-capitalist struggle and and so it's very it's very forward in that way but it's just the language itself i mean the the, the, the experimentation is just very carnal and it's I, i'll i'll just give an example there's like a dead body on the truck and somebody riding with it and the way the camera just keeps playing with it it's not clear it's somebody who's imagining making love to a woman but at the same time making love to a corpse <laughs> Uh, oh. There's this moment where these wonderful children are like biting ears off these um, Catholic priests and dropping their dead bodies yes. into like priest a pile dropping off. Of uh, dead, the dead bodies are priest dropping off yeah, of jungle gym bars. Vampiric, yeah. You know what is? How does that kind of tie into the film's um, agenda, so to speak? Is it? I think that the around that time, this uh, this idea of 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 like vampirism also is like preying on, and I think the Catholic Church and like mm. colonialist, uh, you know, context has mm -hmm. a very strong connotation also as well as not just like in Argentina later having participated mm. in in torture etc. But also in the whole colonialist project of you know in Latin America. So I think that's partly too. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. now that you mentioned that, you know, the the idea of vampirism and the way that uh, you know the vampire film was. Uh, 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 you know, um, uh, molded in Latin American cinema, and it, you know, uh, so you know, films like 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 uh, La Formula Secreta sort of uh, anticipate the work of people like Luis Ospina, who comes later to make you know yeah. Vampires of Poverty and uh, and Pura Sangre, you know, um, and really kind of you know drive home this sort of metaphor of you know the vampire and you know exploitation of the masses yeah but i think it's very it's very rhythmic it happens very quickly and i think some of its power is precisely kind of frustrating your ability to so neatly just say this is that you know because at the same time i feel like in the slaughterhouse there are the scenes where i mean there's all this kissing going there's kissing, on yeah, there's a certain, yeah. so there is a certain very perturbing sensuality around it i think yeah. that's also about you the kind of having to receive these images and not always being able to just kind of pinpoint, okay, I, mm. I get the agenda. It's a certain about, assault right? of your senses right. that's extremely effective. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, uh, uh, the term as, you know, was used to describe uh, uh, Santiago Alvarez's films, um, nervous montage, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, th there's friction, and it's you know yeah. it's it's, it's keeping you yeah, and it's operating and maybe static, but also on a sensory and not just on a linguistic 
no, exactly. hermetic And level, on a textual yeah. level as well, because there's playing with text, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and particularly in one of the, uh, the, the, the previous ones. Which Juan Rulfo, right? Yes. Is the text. Yes. yes. So Juan Rulfo, the, the Mexican yeah. novelist, yeah. Wrote, wrote the text as well. So there's, yeah, there's... Those two texts were the secret formula? Yes. Yes. He wrote yeah. the script? Or like the he wrote the, the, the voiceover text that we hear recited hmm. in the film. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I was also, mean, you know, I was also referring so, so to one of this. one of the earlier films, which I can't remember now if it's the first one, La Flador, or the second film, O Tigre e Gazela, where there's, you know, they play with on-screen text, you know. Um, yes, I'm trying to think. I think it was the first. Film I think it was the first film. Around. Yes, yeah, yeah, which was yeah, very sort of text. Yes. You know, you know, uh, sort of uh, 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 driven uh, that film in a kind of a way that uh, you know, sort of echoed made you think a bit of Godard but you know mm. in a completely different context and sort of you know divorced again because you know the the third cinema filmmakers were very much you know um uh trying to establish a different you know um uh, uh a way of 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 making these kind of you know avant-garde films that weren't you know coming from a European tradition yeah they all had a very certain like pronounced sense of the rhythmic of the refrain I mean they were very musical yes. in that sense there was a sense of textually repetition as and well. visually yeah. yes yeah and very very like mosaic like yeah. films I mean yeah. really stunning yeah. films but yeah. also politically urgent yeah. and very socially directed I just want to see what the four films are just for the audience yes. maybe yes, so yeah so uh, the first one was Lavrador from 1968 uh, the second one, O Tigre e a Gazella from 1977. Then The White Death of the Black Wizard from 2020. And La Formula Secreta from 1965 was the last film in wow. the program. Yeah. Excellent so, titles. Yes. Excellent <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if people can see these films somehow, uh, you know, I, I highly recommend they do. Um, I feel really uh, bad for missing them because, you know, I was watching... In that time, superpower. Oh yeah, let's talk about superpower. Big <laughs> transition here. I we don't have to. Maybe the, if there's something better, you guys want to transition. I to. think we should talk about superpower because really this might be our one chance. Oh my god! I really, I mean, the more you guys are talking about this film, uh, this program, I can't believe I spent my evening this watching is, this film. This is the Sean Penn. This, this is, is the right? Sean yeah. Penn. This movie about Sean. I'm afraid Penn. I was dragged into that one too. But, uh, oh, so you saw it? You see, is you it stayed. okay to say I fell asleep? Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't think yeah, Sean, right. Sean, if you're I, I, listening, yeah, so nothing personal. You tweeted about this film, and I was going to reply to your tweet, but you, yeah. but you added the Berlin Alley to your tweet, so I didn't want to reply to it. Oh, okay, I'm but sorry. But I basically Did wanted I to say, oh, I basically I'm wanted sorry. to say, you were actually disappointed by a Sean Penn documentary? <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't say I was disappointed. I said that it was an embarrassment. You? Yeah, and you were surprised okay, that you were embarrassed? Word. No, I was... No, well, Sean actually, Penn. no, no, but I said considering that the other films, the documentary, yeah. that this is a pretty strong year for documentary films, I know. that Dominique Graff I saw was perfectly wonderfully complex, yeah. that we just spent like half an hour talking about how great Claire Simon is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of great documentary to be programmed and it just... And there's several other documentaries about the crisis in Ukraine. Yeah. Ukraine, right? There's actually films by Ukrainian filmmakers. Right, so right. Yes. Superpower is co-directed by Aaron Kaufman and Sean Penn. And it basically... So uh, Americans and maybe you guys as well might remember that when the war in Ukraine broke out, suddenly there was news that Sean Penn is in Ukraine. And everyone was like, why the well, F is Sean Penn in Ukraine during this war? Because Sean Penn always loves to helicopter into places. He was in um, he Haiti. Katrina. Huh? And he he went to Katrina, remember? Oh, her? Yes. yes, but... He was in I, Haiti so and Raul Peck gives kind crucified of him in, in his documentary, Fatal Assistance, oh, that's for right. doing that, you know. You're so right. 
right. So it's not the first time, and people have held him to account to, for right. this before. I will. I really want to see Lozniz's response to this film, but. Um, the thing is, I've watched this film two hours and I still don't know why the F was John Penn in Ukraine. It is, I mean, I don't even know if I have anything to say about it that won't seem obvious. First of all, it's a Vice documentary. It's very much presented and edited in that way. And, um, but like really sloppy, you know, it's cut super fast um, and it's kind of tracing. Sean Penn was there a little bit before the war broke out and I think he was... I'm, it's not really clear, but I think his producing partner, um, his name is Billy Smith, I believe, was working on a film about Ukraine and Zelensky and sort of brought Sean Penn on. And they were there before the war broke out. And then after the war broke out, he met Zelensky, you know, for a short meeting that they film. And then he becomes kind of this... I guess spokesperson for Zelensky, where he spends much of the film just talking about what a, an amazing, beautiful human being Zelensky is, and how you just being in Ukraine, he could smell freedom in the air. Americans talk about freedom, the freedom just crackling through the air in Ukraine. These people know what freedom is and what the price you have to pay for it is. So he's just like, you know, talking about that. And so the, the whole film is cutting between his journey through Ukraine and back to America and back to Ukraine and him doing these talking head interviews, you know, expounding on these themes of freedom and democracy and what a pure, brave man Zelensky is. But the whole thing is like, why does Sean Penn need to tell us any of this? All this well, is Zelensky's in the news. Zelensky's an actor. He's probably, Sean Penn probably sees himself in they Zelensky actually drive and wishes that, that home. he was They like drive that home as, a, as like a justification. Like, oh, like Sean Penn, Zelensky were both, you know, actors who've decided they want to do something bigger. And it is so obviously a vanity project. I mean, there's a, a scene where they're going to meet Zelensky and Sean Penn's like, I'm so tired, but I'm going to push through it. Push through what? Bro, there is a war going okay, on. Okay, okay. I think we've had... I think I'm sorry. Had I, by, by really? Back off, back off. No, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just a lot of these kinds of scenes of him driving for 25 hours yeah. to the border in Poland. There's a point where uh, these Ukrainians are driving him around and he wants to go to the front lines. And mm -hmm. they're like, I'm sorry, no one wants to take responsibility for killing Sean Penn. And he's like, our priority is to get as close to the active border as possible. I mean, there is just uh, no reason for him to be there. There's no reason for this really film to exist. It didn't teach me anything new mm. about the situation in Ukraine. Clearly, Zelensky and the Ukrainians are trying to use uh, him to kind of make a case for, for more weapons and more aid from the West. Mm -hmm. But Sean Penn doesn't, at least from what I gleaned from the film, doesn't actually do anything with that. Well, the film, he made this film, which will now be seen by people who can make those decisions. I, I, but I very much doubt that this film is saying something that they haven't already been told or shown. Yeah. I mean, I just, I agree with you, Ella. There are so many documentaries. There are so many documentaries by Ukrainian filmmakers. The, why this was shown, it, it feels very disingenuous. There's a wonderful Ukrainian documentary called Three Women by Maxim Yalik, which will be a true false. Oh, that's <laughs> You're just milking <laughs> should we also Should we also give a shout out to the restoration to the Turkish film just before we Of course we've yes, got to yes, talk yes, about go the ahead, Turkish film. I think we should end yes. on the Turkish film. Please film. Like, yes. take it away. Just move. Let's move away from superpower. Uh, just for five yeah. minutes maybe because I guess we're all hoping. I mean, uh, it was a full screening, right? It was a full house today for the... This and morning, um, and it's uh, for Kara... Kara Kafa, which means... 
Blackhead in Turkish, uh, directed by Koran Yurtsever. And that's a film from 1979. 1979. This morning was the second presentation after a sold-out 500-seat theater screening last night. Oh. Uh, And um, this was a film that was banned by Turkish authorities when it was made in 1979. And then Uh, it didn't screen for like 20 years or something like that. It didn't screen for several decades before it had a film festival screening at the Anatolia Film Festival in the early 2000s. Uh, a poor copy of the film screened there and then uh, the good folks at, uh, at, at Arsenal um, engaged in the restoration uh, of the last couple of years and uh, Arsenal's brought so many great films back been doing, to life they've been doing very yeah. good work and uh, um, what a film what a film that film is and it was just a joy to be there with the filmmaker who was clearly moved by the audience response to the film hmm. um, so uh, what's it about? So it's uh, it's it's the story of uh, a young family who uh, moved from uh, Turkey in the 70s to Germany, which of course was a period when there was much migration. Um, uh, and it's funny because in in the film, there's a lot of talk about the fact that uh, no one was, you know, forcing or begging um, uh, the Turkish migrants to come to Germany. But Germany needed laborers; they needed mm. workers, and uh, you know, they made it so that uh, you know it was enticing for people who, you know, had hard lives in Turkey to come. Um, so, you know... It's always when they need labor. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, and and there's a connection there, you know, of course, between, you know, the theme of labor in this film and the films we saw last night at, at Critics Week. I was thinking of that because, of course, the opening the opening sequence in, 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 in this film, uh, we see uh, laborers in, like, an iron ore factory smelting. It's very hot and... Um, some wonderful close-ups and this film is just a series of wonderful close-ups of faces just beautiful close-ups of faces and we see men in the factory taking off their 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 protective visors uh-huh. and they've got soot covered faces and i thought the title black had referred to these um soot covered faces but no it refers to something else later on in the film but intercut between uh, the shots we see of the workers taking off their visors and then walking out of the factory we see shots of um of 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 machines crushing um, objects like um, you know uh, uh, abandoned scrap metal and stuff mm-hmm. being Compressed being crushed, which um, again harkened back to um, you know this idea of Soviet montage and uh, mm-hmm. you know the exploitation of the worker, right? And exposing the production of commodity, like the process of production. yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. So uh, so so there's this there's this man who uh, his family's back in Turkey. Um, uh, and he's, you know, as so often happens, you know, in 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 waves of migration, um, you know, the father or you know uh, uh, one member of the family goes on ahead to 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 uh, the country they're migrating to and sort of establishes himself uh, before the rest of the family comes along. Um, and he's very much a guy who says he's, he he says close to the beginning of the film, I'm very happy to be a second class citizen in Germany. Um, because that's still better than, you know, what we have in Turkey. So mm. I'm just going to, you know, put my head down, be the good immigrant, be a model, you know, citizen, work hard. And I know that, you know, things will be all right. And I'm not going to get swayed or tempted by joining the union or, you know, trying mm. to, uh, to, 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 to join the struggle, you know, uh, for better conditions. Um, and then the wife and the kids come. Uh, and, you know, the sort of utopian life that he thinks is going to happen, of course, does not happen. Crumbles, yeah. It, it crumbles, fact, yeah. and it's contrasted with, and his, you know, political views are contrasted with the wife, who, when she comes, um, gets 
work in a, 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 a as a, as a seamstress in mm. in a factory and she becomes politicized and this is fiction it's this fiction. is fiction okay. yeah yeah it yeah, yeah. Fiction. It's a fiction, yeah it's fiction film yeah 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 it's a fiction film Although there are some, I guess, documentary elements that the filmmaker said he used that um, I don't know if he fictionalized an actual strike that was happening like around the political movements, which was part of why I think he got censored then in Turkey, that he showed it and that was considered like Uh, communist propaganda showing all the socialist movement happening around the world. I mean, it's it's, it's neorealist melodrama. Yeah, it's it's definitely melodrama, but I think the audience loved it, that it indulges in this family melodrama because there are two young actors, you know, the children are just wonderful. Parts of it are portrayed the, through the, the eyes of the children. The sun the is, sun is remarkable. And there are beautiful scenes of just kind of one culture observing another from this yes. one this one scene where he's just watching people in the streets with their dogs, basically. Yes. But it's definitely this moment of this, you know, child's kind yeah. of awakening again, these to loving, loving close-ups the of pleasures, the but maybe also slight absurdities yeah. Yeah. Loving close-ups of the faces, particularly someone. of the boy at times. We see close-ups yeah. of him. He's so handsome, just this little boy, just watching all the good things of Germany and, you know, wishing he could have a dog, wishing he could have a bicycle, you know? Mm. Um, and then there were echoes there of uh, bicycle thieves. I'm sure that that was a yeah. reference point and moments for, of, for like, real humor. And, and just, humor. Yeah, and, yeah. Wait, so why was it banned in Turkey? Oh, that's a good question. Well, partly because it was showing the workers striking of of all the what was considered communist rhetoric. But, But you know, uh, the the Turkish, you know, the official line was, you know, the Turkish government wanted to maintain good relations with Germany. And they felt that, you know, here was, you know, uh, someone from Turkey who was portraying Germany in a bad light. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. So wow. while I'm, while not necessarily overselling the life in Turkey either, right? Uh, I right. mean, in exactly. that sense, right. I mean, yes. in the sense that it's coming out yeah. of a real strife. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I think oh, my friends, I hate to cut us sides. short, but uh, we are out of time. So just go and see this film if you're yes, in Berlin. Yes, please go and see this film. <laughs> I have to say, yes. Alain Jonathan, like, I need you guys to make my screening schedules because <laughs> it, it, I just feel like you're watching all these amazing movies and I'm like, I've watched so many movies and I'm fun- I haven't liked that much and then now you're telling me about these great screenings I've missed. Well, we're not well, telling you easy. about the ones we didn't no, no, love. No, no. Well, well, <laughs> we you could. Know, it's <laughs> really a different easy. podcast. If you, if you, if you, no, but I won't say stick to, but you know, yeah, um, you, you can't yeah, go wrong with old stuff. Yeah, you really yeah, can't go wrong stuff. with old stuff. Yeah. Someone has to report on the new, though. You know, someone yes. has to break the news. Yes, true, <laughs> true. Yes. About superpowers. Well, thank you both for joining us, and so, uh, thanks yeah. for having. We'll talk again soon. That was lovely. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.